Life can take us on unexpected paths that leave us with emotional wounds and scars. But these scars do not have to be a burden that we carry alone. I'm Jocelyn Biederset, a childhood sexual assault survivor, and this is Invisible Scars, a podcast where we connect and learn from those who have come out stronger on the other side of trauma. So today I'm so excited to be sitting down with Jillian Roberts. Jillian is actually a Canadian triathlete and a teacher who was diagnosed with ovarian cancer at the age of 28. She has a blog where she tackles the highs and lows of navigating cancer as a young woman and athlete. Today, she sits down with me to talk about her journey, her current diagnosis, and how she has gotten through with her mental health in these past few years following her diagnosis. I actually know Jillian personally. She was my daughter's grade four teacher, and we absolutely adore her. Her resilience, her strength, and the way that she is giving back and sharing her journey is so incredible. And I can't wait for you guys to hear this episode. I've been reading your blog over the last two days and your writing, you know, it's so interesting because when you talk about trauma and we have obviously very different forms of trauma, Mm -hmm. but the way you articulate it in your writing, the parallels between what I've been going through and what you've gone through, they just overlap. And it, I think it just makes so many people feel so seen and how it, it blows my mind. You know what I mean? Like it just honestly makes me feel so connected to you without even knowing you that well. I mean, I know you as being my daughter's teacher, but like, right. Which is a very different relationship. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But the way that you write, like as I'm going through it, I'm like saving certain ones to my home screen on my phone. Cause I'm like, I have to share this. I have to share this. I have to right. like, my home screen is all Jillian Roberts, um, on <laughs> blog posts because they just resonate to a blanket of trauma. Right. So it's mm-hmm. well done. Very, very well done. That's so true though, because like, a, thank you for reading my blog. B thank you for the compliment about my blog. I have not always been someone who excelled at writing. And even reading, like I, as a student, very much struggled with reading and writing, which is one of the motivations of me ended up being a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I felt like when I had something to say, I just knew exactly how I wanted to say it. And that made me so much better of a writer, having like a clear voice and a mm-hmm. clear message. Also having a good editor helps. Right. So, yeah. So my mom edits all of my writing. So thank for thank God for her. Yeah. It's my voice, but just a little bit of her <laughs> help. Right. But yeah. Um, yeah, but you're so right though, because like my husband and I say this all the time. Like if you understand trauma and like how trauma works in the body and how trauma responses work, you kind of have an understanding of all trauma, even if it's a totally different trigger or a totally different experience or a totally different traumatic event. You, you just, you get it. Mm -hmm. It's so true. Honestly, like the way I think, like, as I said, I want to share every single one of your blog posts because it relates to all I'm thinking while I'm reading it is you are literally saying everything I'm feeling but about something completely different. So it's just, right. you're right. It, it relates to all traumas. And we talk a lot about, I actually did an interview um, a couple days ago. I went on a podcast and mm-hmm. we were talking about the way that you perceive trauma across the board. It's mm-hmm. understanding it 
is what you said, understanding trauma and the way it works, it helps you understand all traumas, but it also really helps you process your own trauma and understand why you're reacting the way you are, why your body's reacting the way it is, why you're a bit snappy, why you're tired and giving yourself grace for those things, right? It's important, I think, to understand how it affects your body. It is. And like when I was listening to your first number of episodes that have been published over the last week, I a resonated with a lot of things that the people were saying and all of those people's stories are so different than mine mm-hmm. and be like, especially from some of the like healthcare professionals, like learned a lot of things that either like, Oh, that feels familiar for me. And I'm now happy to have the words for it or the understanding behind why I feel like I connect with that thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that you said that. Cause that's like all I want from people who are listening. That's right? exactly yeah. what you're going for. <laughs> yes. Well, it's working. Cause I definitely felt, I think all the things that you're hoping get your audience yes. to feel. That's fantastic. Yay me. Yay me. Yeah. So yeah, before exactly. we really get into this, um, for everyone who's listening and you know, you've been through so much in these last few years since 2019, um, But every guest, I get them to share some positive affirmations or things that have aided them in their healing experience. Um, Because, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes someone listening, it just gives them a place to start. So what have you been doing, Jillian? Lately, my like main kind of grounding mantra and like motivating mantra has been today I can. And that's really very powerful for me right now because I'm in a place with my cancer journey where my future is very uncertain. And it's very easy for me to say, well, why would I do this? What what's the point? You know, and for example, like, you know, I am an athlete and that is what I do outside of, you know, my career. So for example, today I went to the pool with my friends much earlier than I needed to in order just to go with them for fun. So when that alarm rings in the morning, I'm like, it's really easy to go to, why would I do this? I'm not training for anything. I I don't have to do this. But then I come back to, because today I can. Today I can do this. And today it can bring me joy. Today I can go have fun with my friends. So that's been my big one. Today I can. That's really beautiful. And like we said earlier, like that can honestly play across for any form of trauma because you can like mm-hmm. you and I both know how hard it is to get pull yourself out of those hard days and those hard mental health days when it feels like what's the point and I actually really love that today I can yeah yeah that's great so you know aside from all of that I want to kind of get to know you a little bit so I know you because you were actually my daughter's grade four teacher yeah arguably <laughs> the most favorite teacher in that school I've heard it from every child that I know from that school Miss Roberts is the that's, best that's too kind that's too kind <laughs> but uh, beyond that you actually have an incredible story and you are a triathlete which is so impressive mm-hmm. and a big part of who you are so maybe just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the triathlete space? I've like always been an athlete. I've always identified as an athlete. Um, I grew up in a really active household. Both my parents were runners. And then I was a swimmer when I was in elementary school and into high school. And then I started getting into triathlon when I was maybe 18 or 19 years old. I kind of just, I just kind of happened upon it and thought, oh, I already run and I already swim. 
let's try biking. And I just kind of thought maybe it would be something to try one time. But the from the first time I tried it, I just completely fell in love with it. And um, I just loved the lifestyle. I loved the community, the atmosphere. And I just loved the mastery of it that, you know, I every time I would go out, I would feel like I could have these moments of success where I was getting better, but I still felt like there was still things to learn. There was still things to learn. And I love learning. So for me, triathlon was so perfect that I could feel successful, but also always feel like there was more to learn. And I found that really fun. Um, and I've just, I've just been a triathlete ever since and just love swimming, love biking, love running, and just love pushing and challenging my body and getting the joy from, from those activities. Mm -hmm. And you know, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, for where you are today and how well you're doing with your diagnosis is just that grit that you've always kind of Mm -hmm. had, right. That pushed you through that, those training days and really set you up for what the rest of your life was going to bring you. Totally. There's a lot of like life lessons we can learn from athletics and sports Mm -hmm. for sure. Totally. Yeah. So leading up to your diagnosis, um, tell us what happened because it had a little bit to do with a competition you were doing, right? Yeah. Well, actually like the year before my first cancer diagnosis, I actually had a surgery before that in 2018 as well. Um, So in 2018, I had um, a surgery for a benign ovarian tumor. So I lost my right ovary in that surgery. Um, but that was not technically a cancer diagnosis, but I still kind of count it as like my first chapter of this cancer journey because it's still related. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had major abdominal surgery, seven inch cut in the middle of my abdomen vertically. Um, so that was still six week of bed rest and that recovery process and then returning back to my life. Um, and then in May of 2019, I decided to go run the BMO half marathon in Vancouver and it was one I had done previous. So I was excited to get back to doing that race. I really loved that one and I trained really hard for it and, um, kind of halfway through was feeling quite ill and like kind of nauseous. And then the real kind of, uh, alarm bells were maybe a couple days after where I was like continuing to feel nauseous and continuing to just not recover from that nausea post-race. And then that's when I went in for some tests, especially considering that history the year previous, and they found, um, another tumor on my remaining ovary. And, um, so that was, that was really devastating, especially having just gone through it the year previous. For sure. And also your age, like, let's talk about that because how old were you when this all happened? So in that first surgery in 2018, I would have been 26. So young. And I know you talk about that a bit in your blog, just how like, we all think we have so much time because you're like so busy living. Right. And you were healthy, you were athletic, you had like a loving relationship, you know, you were loving your Mm -hmm. job and really thriving. And for someone at that age, it's just so rare for us to, to hear of stuff like that. Yeah. And you, at that age, it's so common to like, just be feeling like you are invincible Mm -hmm. and feeling like those things are not going to happen to you. It's just not really like on your radar. And it's not that illness in that way is like, less devastating when you're older it's it's still hard it's just a different journey mm-hmm. right it's just such a different experience so definitely being hit with those things at that age you're not really in a space where you're prepared 
for, oh, my health could be bad. And you're not in a space where you have people around you who've experienced similar things who can relate to your to your life. So you just feel very on this island. And we'll get into like what this what this first diagnosis meant for you and what happened prior to that with your surgery. But speaking of your age and that people around you haven't gone through that, like that's when you're at an age Mm -hmm. where everyone's getting married and talking about having kids and traveling. Right. So that's another aspect of isolation where you feel that you probably really felt that you were being left behind in certain things. Totally. And that creates a lot of grief too, right? Because you're grieving the life that you were expecting to have. You're grieving the things that you had hoped to be doing at this stage of your life, right? So then in 2019, when that second tumor was found, I went in for surgery. That one was diagnosed cancerous. And that tumor actually had spread to my uterus as well. So I ended up getting that second ovary taken out, the uterus, the cervix, and the appendix, all taken out and all of this information being told to me upon waking up from that surgery. So that's like a, that's a big blow. That's a huge And loss. at that point I would have been, yeah, I would have been 28 at that point. So that's a big blow at 28 to say, you've just had a full hysterectomy, all of your reproductive organs, all of the things that we as a society deem us as female, you know, and these like identifying factors of who we are as women. I want to talk for a minute about what that kind of meant for you as an a 28 year old woman, someone who had just got married. Mm -hmm. And I actually hadn't been married yet. I got married two months after that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a whole nother thing. It's a whole, I I can't imagine, you know, what you were, what kind of place you were in mentally and emotionally at that point in your life and what that take us through what that looked like through your relationship and, and how your partner showed up for you in those moments. Cause had you guys ever spoke about having children? Was that something that you had wanted or because you were so young, you hadn't really given it a lot of thought yet. Yeah. So my husband, Tori and I, we at that point had been together for almost 10 years. We, we met pretty young in school and, uh, it wasn't like a really super present conversation in our lives that we had always dreamed of having children. But it was definitely something that we had discussed as a possibility for our future. It was definitely something that was still on the table. And I think that type of grief was really hard to pin down together because it's not like we had like come to a solid choice. We just always knew that it was there. And if we wanted it, we could have it. But if not, we didn't have to. Mm -hmm. Um, So having that choice taken away from us forcefully and without our choice, that was a lot of grief for us to go through. And that grief of grieving you know, a human that possibly could have existed in our lives is also just really complicated and really hard to explain because it's not like we're grieving a person who did exist. Mm -hmm. You know, we're grieving the possibility of a life we could have had. And that is showing up in many different areas now too, that we're in our thirties and we have so many friends and, you know, cousins and family members who are now in that stage of life. And, 
And that presents a lot of new triggers and traumas for us as well. Yeah, probably for both of you, honestly. Like, yes, I I fully believe that it's probably a trigger for both of you. And you're right, you're living it now that you're getting into your 30s and you're seeing it around you. Like, I can't imagine how traumatizing and heartbreaking that was to wake up from a surgery and know that that had happened, that you can't go back and there's no choice. And Mm -hmm. how did you, how did you process all of that? Through talking with Tori a lot and you know, he's an extremely supportive husband. He always has been, but he has a lot of his own trauma and trauma responses because of what we've been through as well. And um, even though we've essentially been through the same thing, me as a patient, him as my caregiver, our trauma and trauma responses are very different. Right. And so it's a lot of the time just us talking through it and us listening to each other. Um, and then also talking to professionals. So, um, we both see, um, different counselors at the BC cancer center for the North here in Prince George, where as a patient and as a caregiver of a patient, we have access to free counseling. That's amazing. That's such an incredible asset. Yeah. And, you know, I was actually reading in your blog and one thing you said was never underestimate the power of a good therapist. And I fully, yeah. fully believe it. Right. I, yeah. it's kept me, it's kept me on a good, clear path through the last few years. And I imagine it has for you as well. For sure. And, and like talking to somebody at BC cancer, who is so in that cancer world Mm -hmm. is really helpful as well. I find not that other people wouldn't be equipped for that either. Um, but just that they have such an understanding of what it's like to be a patient and the things that we experience for sure. So take us back to post-surgery waking up and they've told you devastating news. Um, you know, what kind of transpired after that? Where did your life go after that? Yeah. So after that surgery in 2019 and my first official cancer diagnosis, I went into six months of chemotherapy, which came with a whole host of different challenges. One, I had already planned my wedding for that summer in August. um, And I had to shave my head uh, like three weeks before my wedding which was really hard and definitely like a something to like work through because it's just hair and and hair grows back so that was kind of the comfort that I would tell myself like it will come back and it and it, and it has now yeah. you know um got long hair again like I want to yes but before my wedding that was really hard because how I wanted my hair to look on my wedding and how I wanted to do it like I couldn't really do that. Mm -hmm. So I found a great wig through um, the Canadian Cancer Society. They have um, a lodge here in Prince George and they do offer free wigs for cancer patients. So more great resources that I was able to access. So unless you knew my story and you saw my wedding pictures, you might not know it's a wig. Yeah. So I could still like look not like cancer. But there was definitely some layers there for sure in in not having hair for my wedding. I imagine a lot, and I could be wrong, but some of the emotions that would come up would just be anger that so much was yeah. being taken away from you, right? Like first you're waking mm-hmm. up from the surgery and then your wedding and you weren't able to have your hair and all these things. Just, I imagine pure anger at moments. Oh yeah. And like definitely 
now that I'm like in a different chapter of my journey, I definitely am able to look back on some of that anger and understand it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And even with my current anger, since I've been on this cancer journey for a while now, I just have so much more of an understanding of my feelings and everything. But I think a lot of my anger honestly came in the form of resentment towards other people right? Like, well, why does that person get to have the wedding that they want and look the way they want and have a happy day without this underlying kind of layers of illness and uncertainty, right? And have these happy moments of promising futures. And for me, when I go to a wedding now, that's the part that triggers me now is, and I still feel that resentment that I look up at this couple and I say, you know, a wedding presents this hopeful future. And when you're someone whose future feels very uncertain, that, that it makes me very angry Mm -hmm. and I don't want to feel anger and I don't want to feel resentment towards those people because they deserve their happiness. But I do feel resentment toward, well, why do they get that? And and I don't. Yeah, I know. And all that keeps going through my head is it's, it's not effing fair. Yes, exactly. And that's fair to feel that right? Like it is not freaking yeah. fair. Yeah. Yes. And I felt that for very many reasons over the years, for sure. It's not fair. And, and that's not necessarily a helpful way to feel either. Right. But you have to feel that sometimes. It's real. Yeah. You have earned yeah. the right to feel that way for sure. Yeah. Right. It's like giving yeah, yourself, totally. you know, the permission to feel those shitty feelings too. Like it really isn't yes. fair. It really fucking sucks. Like this is terrible. So after your surgery, after your wedding, what happens? Um, You have chemotherapy. Does the tumor shrink? What happens? So in the surgery, the tumor got totally taken out, right, with the ovary. So when I went into chemotherapy, I didn't have technically any visible cancer in my body. The reason that they did chemotherapy was to kind of just cover up the possibility of maybe there's some other thing in the body that we can kill so that it would not reoccur. Right. So I was deemed um, with no evidence of disease in January of 2020. So then I enter into remission care, which is where you're getting monitored um, post chemotherapy with blood work and different imaging to just monitor your health and just make sure that there isn't a reoccurrence. So for 2020 and 2021, I just was trying to become a human being again. you know, and grow my hair and get back to my training and get back to work and just try to, yeah, feel like myself again. So I imagine it wasn't that easy to just go day to day and feel like yourself again, because this is probably always in the back of your mind, wondering Mm -hmm. the next time I go to the doctor, is it going to be bad news? And how am I feeling? Um, I'm having these symptoms. Could it be this? Could it be that? Like, I imagine there was a really sense of hypervigilancy on your symptoms and what you were feeling day to day. Yes, absolutely. Um, and in the cancer world, we say that uh, reoccurrence is a cancer patient's worst nightmare. 
in particular, cancer survivor's worst nightmare because you get that stamp of no evidence of disease, not literally a stamp, but you know. Yeah, <laughs> I actually pictured like... <laughs> Just making it clear, they don't like give a stamp. You are done, right? <laughs> I did picture it. <laughs> but you really do feel like your anxiety is living from scan to scan. Yeah. And that's what we call also scan scanxiety, scan anxiety, where every time you go in for whatever your checkup is or whatever, you know, every cancer patient who's in remission treatment has different lines of defenses that is part of their checkups. But for me, it was blood work and um, CT scans. And so every time you go in, you just wonder, like, what's going to be the news this time? And you just are sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for that, to have that sigh of relief every time. You know, it reminds me of other forms of trauma, what we talk about. And you really, Jillian, you were constantly living in fight or flight. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Just Mm -hmm. your nervous system was probably just firing at all times, like probably very hard for you to relax and live in the moment. Yeah, being being present is is really hard. And that's why that saying of today I can, mm-hmm. that's why I find that so effective for me because it brings me to the present. It doesn't matter what I can do tomorrow, today I can do this. Yes. So yeah, being present and like always living in that heightened and anxious state is it's a really kind of normal place for for cancer patients and survivors for sure Mm -hmm. and you know I wonder too like for anyone who's listening who's been through this or anything similar how did you manage to go back to work and do your job properly and be Mm -hmm. in the moment for your students and show up for for the other people that you work with alongside because you know it is really difficult and I want to talk about one thing that you actually said on your blog that just freaking hit home with me so hard. You said, I can't move on because of how the trauma impacted me, but I can move forward with my trauma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, holy crap, like I relate to that so much. And I know so many people listening do. And that just really makes me think about what it was like for you to go back to work and have to move forward with your trauma while also just Mm -hmm. being worried all the time. Yeah. And obviously, like with everything, some days are easier than others, for sure. Um, And some days it's it's more of a struggle to show up for who you need to show up for, especially as a teacher, when you have 20 some little ones who who have so many emotional Mm -hmm. and physical and social needs, you know, and um, it's some days you are better than others. and, And that's okay. And I think for me, I just had to be okay with not being perfect all the time. Yeah. You know, and knowing today I'm going to be a 90% teacher and the next day saying, you know what, I'm going to be a 60% teacher and that's okay. We're going to get through it. Yes. I know. And yeah. And just being kind of at peace with that. Um, But I think that one of the main things that helped me too was like really focusing on the things that brought me joy. So like, like training, you know, still having the ability to do my activities that I love, just giving me those moments of joy in my day and just really letting them fill me up. 
Um, and then focusing on the other little things at work that I would look forward to, um, different lessons that I loved to teach, the ability to connect. Like I do love my job. So getting to do my job sometimes was a distraction and getting to focus on the, the kids and focus on doing my job well, it did feel good a lot of the times, right? Yeah you know, or even just focus on, I get to chit chat with some of my colleagues who are my friends today and, and have those connection moments, right? Yeah, those were the things that got you out of bed on the days when you probably really didn't want to go. Honestly, sometimes, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. Just being like, you know what, I just got to get to school, get my coffee, chit chat with so and so in the hallway. And if I can get through that, you know what, we're there. And Mm -hmm. then we'll just we'll just do our best. Right? Yeah, it's those things, whatever you can do, right? Whatever works for you Mm -hmm. to get yourself up and going and feel human. Yeah. And and you know, sometimes it is the little things. Yeah, totally. They all add up, right? Yeah. Yeah. So take us through to what happened next. You know, um, you're kind of going through doing all your tests, hoping that the next one is Okay, and what happens? So yeah, so at that point between in 2021 and or, sorry in 2020 and in 2021, I was getting checked on every three months. So every three months, I had that scan anxiety kind of go back circle, throwing that every three months. Um, and then in early 2022, um, they found some things on my CT scan that looked iffy. They weren't sure what they were at first. Um, they just kind of warranted further exploration so from like january till april i was just like living in this constant state of heightened like anxiety wondering like is it a is it a shadow is it scar tissue is it a tumor is it you know and not knowing is honestly one of the scariest places to live because once you know something, you have words for it, you have a game plan, right? And not knowing can be the the most anxiety um, place to live, right? I can't imagine. So yeah, that, honestly, I think that kind of window in 2022 was one of my toughest kind of parts of the chapter. Yeah just always on the end of, edge of my seat wondering like when the phone rings who is calling me and what are they going to say yeah i right? i honestly that would pr- i can't imagine what that was like for you yeah that was really hard but it discovered basically they kind of got as far as they could with the tests that they kind of had to realize that they needed to do exploratory surgery so then in may of 2022 i had exploratory surgery and they found a tumor on the top of the vaginal cavity where it is um, sewn up and then one on the outside of the bladder. So they took those small tumors off, put me back up. And after that one, I had my six weeks of bed rest again to recover. And then I was back at work in September, 2022 with your daughter in my class. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. And so, you know, I, I want to talk to you about how sharing your stories and sharing Mm -hmm. what you're going through has been so important to you because I know for myself, Mm -hmm. it's been after 20 some years of not sharing my story and staying silent Mm -hmm. and being silenced, finally being able to share what I've gone through has been so healing. And that's something I feel that you've always been so good at, like through your blog and even the way that you you know, articulated it to your students. I know my daughter would mm-hmm. come home and be, and tell me how you would explain it to her. And I just was so mm-hmm. impressed. And it shows your mm-hmm. students too, 
because you had to go away for a little bit and you weren't going to be in class for a while for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you're gone, the kids are worried and where's Miss Roberts and what's yeah. going on? And it, it yeah. creates a bit of chaos for them as well, right? So the way that you articulated yeah. it to your students was just so beautiful. And you've been really, really good at um, communicating what you're going through and how you're feeling. I feel from the beginning, because as I go back to your blog, it it really started from the first time you had the non-cancerous tumors removed. Yeah. I started my blog um, in the middle of chemotherapy, but I kind of started sharing on Instagram before that. I started really sharing on Instagram um, in 2018 when I had that first surgery. Sharing for me kind of started as like to motivate myself you know, I was motivating myself to get out the door, go for that run, just get up every day and like do the stuff I needed to do. Um, and kind of without me really thinking about it, it really did spiral into something so much bigger and sharing for me became really therapeutic. Yeah. At first it really was for me. It absolutely was for me. And uh, honestly, I always say like if people weren't reading and if people weren't listening, I probably would still do it though. It's, it's honestly just like my journal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is just for me. Um, but it's turned into this thing where I get just so much positive response from so many different people, cancer patients, cancer survivors, people who have someone in, with cancer in their life. Um, honestly, people who don't have cancer present in their life in any way. Um, but just people who are looking to be inspired. And I get a lot of such good response from that, that I feel like, you know what, this, this is why I'm doing it too. I'm doing it because people are gaining from it. Um, and and that's really positive. And I do really feel like it's, it's education is power. Right. And, when we can learn about other people's stories and fully understand them and be educated about them, it can create so much empathy. So not just empathy for me, but empathy for anyone who's going through something like me or empathy for anyone in the world who's going through anything challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually want to talk, that's a great place to to stop you there because I actually really wanted to talk to you about one of your blog posts that you called, Give Me Grace, Please. Yeah. And this, I read this probably three or four times and cried every time I read it because not because, not just because I know you and I'm also grieving with you and the things that you're going through, but I felt so seen as someone who's never had cancer. I've been affected by cancer, but I've never had it. But yeah, I felt seen as the person going through what I'm going through right now. And, you know, I want everyone who's listening, I'm going to take this on the show notes because this one, all your blogs, but this one in particular, I think will resonate with so many people. And you said, you talked a lot about, um, you know, giving yourself grace and hoping that other people will, but also you said regarding people who've been through trauma, they have been through Mm -hmm. some stuff and they are the only ones qualified to make these choices for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot Mm -hmm. of us feel judged or like we're not doing enough, which you is another, Mm -hmm. another post that I want to talk about, but you know, it's, it really relates to so many people. And I want to talk about asking yourself these questions, what is doing enough and why we Mm -hmm. feel the need to justify what we think enough is. Can you expand on that? Can you tell us more? Yeah. I mean, I think that's just like a thing that everyone experiences in our world too. Like women, 
working women, mothers, everybody, we all experience this pressure of like, am I doing enough? Am I showing up enough? Mm -hmm. Am I like, there's just so much judgment in our world for everything. Um, So that's why I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to because we all have felt like judged in some way or some form at some point in our lives. Um, But for me, I, the reason I wrote that post, give me grace is because I just feel like often the way that I present myself online in person Everyone sees me as this strong, resilient person. And I do think I am that, but I think they have this vision of me of, she can do it. It's Jillian. She can do it. She'll be fine. Um, You know, and maybe I've like gained that reputation from continuously not giving up, but continuously not giving up is not easy every day because every day I'm fighting to not give up. Um, And I just felt like there was some certain situations in my life with different people in my life where I was setting a boundary or I was making a choice that might be different than what they thought I would make. And I was feeling judged for that, you know, and I was just having to remind people in my life, hey, I just I just need this little bit of grace because this feels like the right choice for me right now. And I don't think you mean anything harmful by your judgment, but your judgment is harmful. And so you are the only one one. qualified to make that choice for yourself. Like exactly. I just exactly they don't know what you're going through. No. And that is so powerful in itself. I love that you said that. Like I just it it rang so true to me and I I mm-hmm. really love that you had put that into print because I think so many people need to hear that. Not even just in this, in this platform, but just for any area of your life, you are the only one qualified yeah. to make those choices. Totally. Yeah. I love that yeah. you said that. So talk to us now about where you're at with your, with your cancer diagnosis at this point. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I call this chapter four of um, Jillian Kicks Cancer's Ass. This is, <laughs> love this it. is the title. <laughs> This is the time I'm giving it. Um, And um, so this one kind of started uh, in kind of late May 2023. Again, I had a checkup, my regular checkups, keeping being monitored. And there was, this one was not there was no question about this. This was pretty clear. There's some stuff on the CT scan that is um, is looking cancerous. So uh, they found uh, six tumors, basically. Like there's one, again, in that same spot at the top of the vaginal cavity, um, two small ones on the liver and three small ones on the lungs. And this chapter is, it's different than the previous ones because now that the cancer has migrated out of that pelvic area, which is where it originated as ovarian cancer, because they will still classify this as ovarian cancer, regardless if I have ovaries or not, because that is the the location of origin. Um, It's called metastatic cancer because it has now spread past that isolated area. It's now in other areas of the body. Um, So at this point, it's very different because things like surgery um, and those kind of more quick and short-term interventions are not necessarily on the table as safe or effective measures anymore. 
Um, and it just shows kind of a more evidence of a bigger picture as far as um, this is not something that you can just take out and it's gone. Right. So it's definitely like a whole new world in, in my cancer journey is getting into metastatic cancer care. Um, so I actually had some genetic testing done, which is honestly like as someone who loves to learn, it's like the science is so fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always so intrigued by talking to my doctors about some of this stuff and I don't always understand half their answers, but I always ask a million questions. But basically, I had genetic testing done, um, which found a genetic mutation within my body and within my tumors, which um, is really good because it gives us a path to take as far as intervention is concerned. So I'm now about to start a drug trial that will be a drug that will target the exact genetic mutation that is in my tumors and with the goal of... uh, controlling their size that they don't get any bigger or or lessening them wow so that's where we are that's where you are so you know i think too probably the good news for you is like now you have a path because i imagine sitting in that limbo of what's next was probably mentally very very hard on you it was really hard and i'm a type a person i like a plan yeah i mean yeah i hear you (laughs) yeah I know. I like plans. I like to know what to expect. And over the last number of years, I have um, had to get really comfortable with being uncomfortable about not knowing what to expect. Mm -hmm. But I basically had like all summer to just not know what was going to happen. And right before the summer, when I was still teaching, I was away for a little bit because Uh, I had radiation as well on my pelvis. um, And I uh, also had to go to Vancouver for a little bit to to get some of the tissue samples started to do the genetic testing. So then I just had to, again, like wait for all of this science to happen. It's, you know, them to all do their work, their magic. And I don't really know what they do, but (laughs) (laughs) well done, right? I just uh, like do the science. Yeah. (laughs) But um, yeah, it was hard. But um, Tori and I actually went to Europe this summer. So um, we got to be very distracted by all the things we were waiting for by focusing on traveling and having fun. That's amazing. Cause I imagine sitting in the same spot, you know, waiting for these answers would be incredibly difficult. And I would, yes, I'm curious agonizing. To, and wondering what your future looks like. I mean, that must be something really difficult because you probably want to focus on the now, obviously. Yeah. And not try and, and trying to pull yourself out of worrying about the future is probably really difficult. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, how have you done that? How have you kept your mental health in such a great place and what resources mm-hmm. have you leaned on to be able to do that I would say um my mental health is in a pretty good place however I think that it's not as good as it appears sometimes right you know and it's not good because it's good it's good because I work really really hard for it so honestly for me it's trying to stay in the present um, not trying, trying to not focus on it too hard until I have to, 
right? So if I don't have to think about it in every single moment, I try, really try not to think about it, which is hard because it, it just, it's on your mind. It's on your mind all the time, right? Um, and then leaning on my resources as far as talking to people, talking to my counselor, um, and then using other lifestyle things as medicine. So movement as medicine, um, nutrition as medicine, and connection as medicine. And, you know, talking to my friends, hanging out with my friends, spending time with my friends, and and letting their presence and their connection fill me up too. Because I am an extra, 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 extrovert. And, and like, I need that connection. I need people. Yeah, for sure. I think that's really, really important. You know, it's funny because talking about trauma across the board, many of the experts we've had on, you know, connection mm-hmm. is always yes. the key. It is, it is always the key. And yes. so, you know, when going through a difficult period or traumatic event and you're balancing friendships and relationships, it can be so freaking tough. And what has been the biggest learning throughout this process when it comes to managing all of these relationships in your life? I think for me, it's reminding myself that it's not always my responsibility to Mm -hmm. maintain these relationships, Um, that relationships are a give and take. And if someone wants to be in my life, they will be in my life. And I will put an effort for them and they will put an effort for me. But it's not solely my responsibility to put in that effort. Um, because I've definitely had a lot of, you know, relationships that have changed over the years and that happens naturally as we age too, that people come in and out of our lives and, you know, and I just find myself like sometimes feeling remorseful or guilty for like not maintaining this relationship or not maintaining that relationship or, you know, but I have to keep reminding myself, like I will maintain the ones that. I am called to maintain because I earned, I yearn to maintain them and vice versa. So if someone yearns to maintain their relationship with me, they will also put in that reciprocal work, um, to, to make it balanced. Right. And I think also communication has been huge. Um, and I think that, through therapy, I have learned a lot about my traumas and also like my trauma responses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've really learned that one of my main trauma responses is the exact opposite of what people think it is. Often people tiptoe around me and are not sure how to talk to me, not sure what to ask me about. Um, and completely avoid me and or kind of talk to me but not really talk to me it's like really surface which you know I don't really need someone to jump right into the deep end of cancer right away either like Mm -hmm. that's hard for people and I don't expect that um but when I feel I'm listened to or um unseen that's my main trauma yeah Um, And it could be something totally different, nothing to do with cancer at all, something totally small and insignificant. Mm -hmm. But in those moments, if I feel like I'm clearly communicating and I'm not feeling listened to, I just, I get snappy. I start to get frustrated. I start to raise my voice. And then often I have to leave the conversation because I just can't think clearly. I can't communicate clearly. And so I've been in so many situations 
where I've had to do that with various people. And then I have to walk out and then I'm left thinking, oh no, am I the jerk? Am I the mean one? You know, was that an overreaction? Yeah. Do they hate me now? You know, because I just kind of yelled at them for something that doesn't feel like a big deal, but it's just the way that I feel unlistened to or unseen. It just, it just hits that nerve Mm -hmm. and I can't, I can't think and I can't communicate. Yeah. I totally relate to that. And it probably almost feels like too, and I've experienced this myself, is that they're avoiding you in a way because they Mm -hmm. don't, they're afraid of what they should or shouldn't say. And they're avoiding you because of their fears too, and their insecurities around it, which I completely understand. It's like a fair thing to be uncomfortable about, but also the thing that they're uncomfortable about is making me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I guess I would just want to tell people that if you know that someone's going through something difficult, not talking about it is often more harmful than talking about it. Oh, I could not agree more. And that was actually going to be my next question because we had talked earlier about um, people assuming that you don't want to talk about it and how hurtful that can be. And I completely resonate with that. And for anyone who is listening, I mean, you know, cancer is one of our biggest, it's all of our biggest fears, right? And going through it or watching somebody we love go through it or somebody we care about or somebody even we know, like it's incredibly painful to know that somebody is going through that. And what would be your biggest piece of advice to anyone listening who is navigating someone, anyone in their life that is being diagnosed with cancer? I would say, yeah, talking to them about it. Because if you bring it up and listen to them, they're going to tell you what they need. Because I can't say, oh, every cancer patient wants to talk about cancer because I don't know every cancer patient. Yeah. You know, I only know myself and I only know the people I've talked to. So, you know, if you can approach them, if you're their, if you're their caregiver, if you're their friend, whatever, whoever this person is in your life, if you can ask them, well, A, how are you doing? And, you know, do you want to talk about it? And if they say no, then they say no. I think that's the but key, at right? Least you ask. At yes. least you ask. So for me, that's the key is giving them the opportunity to say no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Instead of making them feel like you're avoiding it. You know, I think a lot of people too are just uncomfortable with someone saying, I don't want to talk about that, but at least they know that they, that you've asked that they feel important to you and they can come to you when they're ready. Absolutely. And I think... The biggest thing too with cancer is that like you've, it's very isolating, right? So when someone doesn't ask you about it, it makes you feel more isolated and then you just are more on this island, right? Um, And I think the thing people fear too is that by bringing it up, you are putting it on my mind and that's a trigger. Guarantee it's already on my mind. (laughs) So you're not putting it on my mind. It's It's already already there. there. (laughs) Yeah, it's already there. So yes, I want to talk about it. Um, And I would say most of the people I've spoken to, they want to talk about it. Yeah, They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be understood. Yeah, and not forgotten about, right? You know, we've talked about um, how you said that you're moving forward with your trauma. And, Mm -hmm. you know, now that you're heading into starting this new treatment and starting these experimental drugs, is that what they are? They're an experimental treatment that hasn't really been used before? It's it's not necessarily experimental. Um, It's it's a fairly new class of drug and it's a trial in the sense that it's being trialed on different types of patients to see the effectiveness. Right. 
Okay. So, you know, what does it mean to you today to be moving forward with it? Moving on and moving forward, I think, honestly, it's a really different distinction. It sounds similar, but when you know, you know that they're different. They're different. Because I will never be able to move on from cancer. Even if I get to a point where I have no cancer in my body, it's always going to be a part of my life because it changes you in such a deep way and it changes you as a, in a, per, as a person so dramatically that you cannot go back to who you were before. Mm-hmm. So for me, moving forward is honoring and respecting the things I've been through, acknowledging them and acknowledging the effect they've had on me, um, and then learning and growing from them. And while acknowledging and respecting them, not letting them hold me back from the life I want to live. So beautiful. And you know, um, as a final thought, we always kind of ask whoever we're interviewing, what is one piece of advice that you would give your younger self? Oh, I, and I know this cause, uh, I've listened to all your episodes. <laughs> um, this, and this is a question I've been asked before. And I, I have such a hard time with this question because there's like 6 million things I would say. Oh, I could do a whole episode on what I would tell my younger self. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so hard. Um, but I think the thing that I keep coming back to every time I cycle through the hundreds of other choices I would think of is like your story matters, your voice matters and what you have to say matters and needs to be heard. And for me, that goes beyond my cancer journey. Um, That just goes to like the core of who I am. And like in elementary school and high school, and even into my early adulthood, I was like really shy. Mm -hmm. Even my best friend who has known my husband and I since before we were dating and we've been friends for 15 years, he said, when I met you, Jillian, you, you were like really quiet. And you just sat in the background and you just listened. And I was like, wow, I was it, you know, even then when I met you that I was like that. But I just had this perception that lack of confidence that told me, oh, like what I have to say, like no one really wants to hear it. It doesn't really matter. You know, like it's, I don't need to speak up. And, you know, why is what I have to say any better than whatever someone else has to say? And just as I got older, as I've gained confidence, and then also as I've gone through these really challenging things, and use my story to empower others and and share what I have to say. I just keep learning more and more. Like my story matters and my story can be a part of somebody else's healing journey. And my story can make a difference. And what I have to say deserves to be heard. That is so beautiful and so Mm -hmm. true. And, you know, hearing that you were so um, shy, like it blows me away, especially when, you know, I'm going to ask you too, where everyone can find you online, but your Instagram has, you've created this community that is so incredible and you have so many followers and you share so many beautiful things on there and you share, you know, what it looks like to have cancer and you share things to look out for. And it's just this really incredible space on the internet. And you were actually a Lululemon ambassador, which is so exciting because my daughter walks into Lululemon and she's like, that's Miss Roberts. That's my teacher. She is so cool. So, you know, you tell me that all the time. They're like, we had another student in today. (laughs) Oh my God. So great. And you're still training Yeah, and you're still living this beautiful life that you want to live in the moment because you can today. Mm -hmm. Um, Where can everyone find you on social media because I want everyone to follow you because um it's just yeah. such an incredible space you've created. Thank you. Yeah. Um I'm cancer underscore triathlete on on Instagram and um I always have a link to my latest blog post in 
the bio of my Instagram um, bio as well. So um, you can find find my blog through there as well. I recently changed my name on Instagram. I used to be Trijill, um, and I just kind of re- did some rebranding. So my blog um, my blog uh, website is still my old name. I haven't figured out how to change it. <laughs> It's the technical so, things. We will. Oh link- gosh, I'm working on it. Yeah, me too. Well, we'll link those in the show notes. And Jillian, thank you so much for showing up for us today. It's such yeah, an incredible thank so conversation. Much. Thank you. It was really lovely to chat. And, you know, I really enjoyed listening to your podcast so far. So I'll have to keep listening and really enjoyed learning more about you and your story. And um, yeah, I think it's really important to share stories of struggle with the world, because I think people need to hear these things. I could not agree more. Thank you so much. And I can't wait. I want you to come back and tell us how everything's going and your training and we will do a follow up. I love it. Anytime. Absolutely. Thanks, Jillian. All right. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that today's episode provided insight, inspiration, and comfort to anyone who is dealing with the effects of trauma. Remember, you are not defined by your scars and you are not alone in your healing journey. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure to rate, review, and share this episode with a friend who could benefit from listening. We'll see you next week. Mm